Everybody get a chance to share a picture or see a picture? All right. Well, aren't families wonderful? They, they, <laughs> my point exactly. You know, when things are going as God intended, when we're loving and supporting and uplifting each other, there is nothing like the family. What a gift the family is to us. Unfortunately, because families are made up of people, <laughs> things don't always go as wonderfully as we would like. Instead of having the picture-perfect family, some days our families feel like a picture-perfect family fail, right? Uh, Because Forrest and my family is kind of spread out all over the state, we can't seem to get them together to take like a family photo very often. This is the last one that we had taken, and it's about four years old. But... uh, It looks like a picture-perfect family unless you were there that day. (laughs) This is the picture just prior to that. And, of course, when that came up on the screen for us to preview and everybody saw Drew's eyes bugged out like that, all the cousins and brothers, you know, they had to, they just started laughing. And Drew was embarrassed and had a meltdown, and he wasn't going to be in any more pictures. And, you know, we'd finally gotten our family together for this family photo, and it looked like the one and only picture we were going to have was that one. And so it took about a half hour of, you know, consoling him, and then finally he agreed to pose for that first picture Uh, Only if he could stand, go ahead and go back to that one for us, only if he could stand by his cousin Jonah. And uh, so we were finally able to get some more pictures. And um, sometimes, you know, while our family photos look great on the wall, the stories behind the picture and the smiling faces are not always as wonderful and happy as it appears. You know, if you think about your family photo and go through each one, the struggles and things that kids have had as they were growing up. So today as we're finishing uh, this message series, you know, we've been talking about some of the uh, difficulties and sometimes painful dynamics that occur in families. We've talked about sibling rivalry. Last week we looked at some of the struggles that blended families face. This week we're going to be concluding our series by looking at the story in scripture about a son who turns his back on his family. Uh, Aren't families fun? (laughs) And we're going to talk about how to nurture faith in your children throughout their lives. And so the story we're looking at this morning is a well-known parable that Jesus told. It's uh, probably one of the most well-known and it's found in Luke chapter 15. And this whole chapter really reveals God's love for those who've kind of lost their way and uh, his desire for them to be reunited and brought back home. And it's the parable of the prodigal son, uh, Luke 15, and we're starting in verse 11. I'm just going to tell a little bit of it here at first. And Jesus begins his parable with this, just by simply saying, a man had two sons. Now, there's nothing too noteworthy here or out of the ordinary, yet there's potential, isn't there? 
I mean, anyone who's a teacher or a parent and uh, knows that whenever you put two boys together, you have the possibility of drama. So the story begins with a man has two sons. And in this story, the younger son gets it in his head that he wants to leave home, but he doesn't have the resources to do that. And so he asks his father for his share of the farm, the ranch, the estate. And we don't know how old this son is, but we do know that in this Middle Eastern culture where this son asks this outrageous question, that when Jesus tells this story, his listeners would have just... Uh, been astounded that this young man had this audacity. It would be like a son today learning that he's written into his father's will, going to visit him in the rest home, and instead of bringing a slotsy's pizza or something sippable, you know, like a, um, a milkshake from Steak and Shake, uh, he plops down on his dad's bed and says, when are you going to die, you old coot? <laughs> You know, and give me my share of my inheritance, you know. You're as good as dead anyway to me. <laughs> Why don't you just split it up now? And that's the way these listeners would have heard this story. And you can imagine what great love this father must have had for his son, that he just didn't boot him out of the family, out of his life, and wipe his hands of him right there and then. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he divides the estate as the son had asked, and he gives him his portion, and uh, the son sticks the money in his wallet. Now, um, we aren't told why this son decided to leave his dad and his and his brother. Uh, maybe there was some kind of sibling rivalry going there. Maybe he had no interest in farming, so he didn't want to inherit a farm. But it seems to indicate in the story as we look at it that he was just lured away by the idea of no responsibilities. That uh, living it up, you know, playing an air guitar in the bar and passing out in a bush later, that just... Uh, sounded like what he wanted to just be free of dad's rules and go see what kind of party animal he could be. And we don't know what's going on in the son's heart and mind. But we're all aware of the difficulties that come during times of transition for our kids. So if you want to pull out your message notes, we're going to look at some ways um, to help our kids stay grounded in their faith throughout their lives. And the first thing that we need to do is to prepare our children to navigate life transitions well. Prepare your kids to navigate life transitions well. You know, what you parents do on Sunday and during the week to teach your children and grandchildren about God's love and how to walk with Jesus and, and to follow him, to live in his ways, to to put kingdom principles to work in their life and have kingdom purposes, uh, that's the absolute best investment that you can make in your child's future. Um, you can prepare them for college, you know, study with them at night. You can prepare them for marriage by modeling that. You can prepare them for parenting. You can prepare them for a career in soccer or hockey or 
football or uh, rodeo or whatever it is that they try to convince you to take them to on Sunday morning instead of to church. But if you don't prepare them to live for Christ, if you don't prepare them for eternity, then you've missed the mark. They need purpose and meaning that comes from following Christ and living his kingdom purposes rather than living for themselves and for the moment. Proverbs 22, uh, 6 says, uh, and this is our memory verse this week, so let's read it together. Proverbs 22, 6. Teach your children to choose the right path, and when they are older, they will remain upon it. Proverbs 22, 6. And you know, you might have already memorized that in another translation. Uh, go ahead and give it to me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Train up your child in the way they should go. And when they are older, they won't depart from it. You can choose the translation. I don't care. And you know, it's a, it's a great promise to hold on to. But here's the thing. <laughs> and Solomon is much more wise than I am. So but I don't know. But what I've observed as a mother and as a pastor in many families and in real life situations is that you train up a child in the way that sh- they should go. And then even if they depart from it for a time, God will eventually bring them back around to it when they're older. Uh, They may depart from it, but God brings them back. And that's what's happened in in Jesus' parable. We're going to pick it up and read some of it from Luke 15, starting in verse 13. It says, Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, so not long after he asked his dad for his share, and he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, I wonder how long that took, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. Now, this is a young Jewish boy, so he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. So so he comes up with a plan. He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And boy, Jesus' listeners would have been going, yeah, yeah, you're right. Make me like one of your hired servants. When he finally came to his senses, when he finally remembered who he was and whose he was and where he had come from, he turned around and he headed back home. And the second way that we can nurture faith in our children throughout our lives is, number two, to keep praying for them. Keep praying for your children. Continue to pray for your children even after they're grown, especially if they've wandered away from God. Uh, Ask God to direct the course of their life, to use life circumstances to draw them back to himself. Uh, I've I think I've 
told you about our son once when I, when I first came here, but our, our son was raised in a Christian home. He was um, very active in the youth group. He was on fire for God and um, was helping other youth to come to faith in Christ. He went off to college and Northern Michigan University, and near the end of the first semester, he called me and he said, Mom, I feel like God's calling me into ministry, and I'm going to move back down um, home and then go to the Christian college there that was just a few miles from our home and then begin moving towards that degree. So he moved back, uh, moved into the dorm that next semester, and unfortunately he was on a floor with some young men who weren't there to study. They were there to party. And he kind of got drawn into that and basically walked away from the faith and his belief in God. And um, as Sean would say later, he was pulling straight, a straight four-point in pranks and parties. So um, he started drinking heavily. He was suspended from college for drinking in his room and had to move home. And this was all taking place while I was away at seminary in Kentucky and just beating myself up, you know, for not being there. And uh, what am I doing going into the ministry when my own son is um, kicked out of college for drinking in his dorm room? And um, so we, we were praying for him. We had uh, friends at seminary praying for him. And in that, the spring of that following year, uh, Sean was in a drinking and driving accident, and he rolled his truck over, and the police officer said it was a miracle that he had lived. Uh, and they called us, uh, uh, the hospital called in the middle of the night, and when I asked, you know, what his condition was, they said, we, we can't tell you he's bleeding so badly that we, we just don't know if he's going to make it. And so at that point, it was like God had... Uh, totally ignored all of our prayers that, you know, he had forgotten us, that he had forgotten Sean. But that was the point that God used that accident to turn Sean back towards home. And that was the bottom for Sean. That was the point, like the prodigal son, where he came to himself and he said, this isn't me. (laughs) This isn't who I am. And he remembered whose he was, and he stopped drinking, and he turned his life around. And, you know, as parents, we can do the, the best job that we can to raise our children to know and love God. You pray for them. You uh, do everything to get their life headed in the good direction. But you can't control their choices. And they may make choices that, you know, send their life down a different path than you would have chosen. But keep praying for them. Keep being there for them. Keep loving them. Because when life happens and things fall apart, they need somebody to come to that will help them and and remind them about God and help them to see God in their circumstances. So the third thing is then to never give up on your children. You know, I've... I've talked to adult children uh, throughout the 16 years of my ministry, and I don't know how many times I'll uh, come across um, adults who no longer talk with their parents because they made some decision 
you know, 20 years ago or something to marry the wrong person or a lifestyle choice or something, and, and their parents just cut them off and wrote them off. Never give up on your child. Uh, the prodigal son believed that even if his father no longer considered him a son, he would have mercy on him and help him. And, you know, if you look at the Bible story, um, often there's a little heading there, and, and sometimes or most of the time it says the prodigal son. But if you look in Webster's Dictionary, there are two definitions of prodigal. The first one is prodigal means reckless, profuse, squandering, and wasteful. And boy, this son certainly falls into that category, doesn't he? He wasted his father's money. He squandered his wealth. He, he wasted a period of his life. But then look at the second definition. Abundant, bounteous, and lavish. So prodigal can be a bad thing, but it can also be a very good thing. And as you read the rest of this parable, maybe it should be called the parable of the prodigal father. Uh, look with me at Luke 15, starting in verse 20. So he, get up, he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You know, his father is reckless in welcoming his son. He, he's hanging around the porch, waiting as if he expects him to come any moment. And when he catches sight of him, he unashamedly runs to meet him. And the father clasps him, this ragged, battered, swine-smelling son, and he holds a, grabs a hold of him, and um, he is kissing him like a seven-year-old that's been rescued from a kidnapping or something, you know. He's prodigal in his reckless dishing out of extravagant portions of love. He's prodigal in doling out grace, in squandering and wasteful servings. Um, I think I've shown you this picture before, too. I used to be a graphic artist, and several years ago, I saw a cover on the magazine, and it was of a man who had been released from, um, he was like, what is it called? Uh, hostage. There, lost the word. He, he had been a hostage. I think it was in Iraq or Iran. I think probably Iran. And um, there was a picture on the cover of a magazine of him with his daughter in his arms when he got released. And I looked at the face of that man as he was holding his daughter, and I thought, that's the face of God when, he, when the prodigal child returns. He's just uh, holding her and just um, loving her. And so I used the expression of that dad uh, to make this painting. And the young man that 
posed for the picture is our son Sean. Um, I had him, uh, his dad, hug him, and I created this picture. And you know, Sean has had some rough spots in his love in his life, but. Uh, he has a beautiful family today, and he and his wife have found a church and they uh, that they love. And I pray for that pastor in that church every day because they're they're ministering to my son, and I, I want this church to be that kind of church for other people's kids. But um, they're raising their kids to know and love God. And you know, I sometimes wonder what his life would have turned out like if we had given up on him. If we'd have just called him a loser and turned our back on him when he needed us. I believe that God calls us to love our children with a prodigal kind of love. And, and of course that includes requiring them to be uh, accountable, to take responsibility for their mistakes. But to continue to love them and to continue to believe and pray for God's best for them. And when we do that, then we're just like the prodigal Heavenly Father has been for us. And today is World Communion Sunday. This table is a reminder of the extravagant love that God gave his son so that prodigals like you and me can come and find forgiveness and grace. Would you pray with me? Our loving God, we we thank you um, for this parable that Jesus told And we thank you for the joy of knowing that you love us like this and that you receive us and welcome us. Help us always, God, to be um, open and welcoming like that, not like the older son who resented uh, the, the love that was shown to his brother. We pray, God, that I pray for every family here that if there are any... If there's any brokenness in a family, God, that you'll heal it. If there's anyone that's wandered away from the faith, that you'll continue to work in their life to draw them back. And we just put our children and our grandchildren in your hands, Lord, that they would always know you and love you and live for you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.